reminded that we're not to steal. Equally important is the principle of stewardship, working for what we have and, and uh, putting our hands to the work to provide for our families. And God wants us to be good stewards of all that He entrusts to us. As we continue in our study of the book of Exodus, and specifically the ninth of the Ten Commandments, we come to the topic of lying, or should we say speaking the truth. I wonder here today how many of us would consider ourselves to be liars. Hopefully not too many of us. Hopefully we would look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm doing everything I can to speak the truth. Doing everything I can to be honest in all my words and actions and so forth. And most of us here, though, would not likely believe ourselves to be liars. Statistics would say otherwise, though. In fact, most of us would more more than likely feel that we are not liars. So we all know that we should not lie, yet the fine line between fact and fiction becomes a blurry line that we sometimes wonder which side we're on. We said statistics say something else. So according to one recent article... And uh, several years ago, I looked at this, and I had some notes on this. The, ten, uh, the top ten lies that men tell and the top ten lies that women tell, in four years, they hadn't changed much. Let me just give you what they are real quickly. Top, top, top ten lies that men tell. Number one, I didn't have that much to drink. That was, in every poll taken, the number one lie. Number two, this one might be a little more common to where we live. Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. Hmm. Number three, I had no cell phone signal. Number four, it wasn't that expensive. Have you ever noticed that guys never want to reveal the cost of something? Number five, I can't say I haven't used this one before. I'm on my way. (laughs) (laughs) My intentions were right, though, babe. They were. Number six, I'm stuck in traffic. Number seven, no, your behind doesn't look that big. Number eight, that was it was in the paper. Uh, Number number eight, sorry, I missed your call. Number nine, you look like you've lost weight. Number nine, lie mentel, and number ten. It's just what I've always wanted. (laughs) Right. Now, top ten lies that women tell. Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. That's number one. Number two, I don't know where it is. I haven't touched it. I'm telling you, my most worn out shirts, you know exactly where they're at. Circular file number nine. Just about the time they get perfectly worn and comfortable, they disappear. Any other guys? Can I get a witness here? That's what I'm talking about. Number three, it wasn't that expensive. Four, I didn't have much to drink. Number five, yeah, this is a good one. I got a headache. That's an easy out for a conversation with women. I've never observed that, though. Number six, it was on sale. Number seven, I'm on my way. Number eight, oh, I've had this for ages. Three days ago? No, um, no, I didn't throw it away is number nine. And number ten, it's just what I've always wanted. Right. 
Well, here's some fascinating facts that just came out within this year. The average man tells three lies a day, which amounts to a staggering 1,092 lies a year. While more honest, the average woman tells her share of fibs too, uttering lies 728 times a year, or about twice a day. Still, women insist they are better liars than men. We are more likely to lie to our mothers than to our partners. Fully 25% of men admit to lying to their mom, compared with 20% of women, but only 10% of both, men and women, said that they are likely to lie to their partners. And the last one here, women are more likely to lie than men, or to feel guilty about lying after telling. Fully 82% of women say it bothers them when they tell fib, compared to just 70% of men. So they have a greater guilty conscience, I guess, we could deem from that. And one more thought. According to a survey of nearly 3 million job applicants, almost 50% of American resumes contain one or more falsehoods. Not only do they do so many people lie on their resumes, so I was amazed at how many websites are dedicated to teach people how to lie on their resumes and furthermore, lie persuasively in job interviews in order to convince their potential employer of their worthiness of hire. So here it is. If I lie to my employer, it just, it just conveys the idea of how much I really want the job. So that's justifiable. In fact, uh, I want to read something here just for a moment. Some of you may remember George O'Leary several years back. Um, he resigned as Notre Dame football coach five days after being hired, admitting he had lied about his academic and athletic background. O'Leary claimed to have a master's degree in education, to have played college football for three years, but checks into his background showed it wasn't true. Due to a selfish and thoughtless act many years ago, I have personally embarrassed Notre Dame, its alumni, and fans, O'Leary said in a statement released by the university. A biography released by Notre Dame on Sunday when it was announced his hiring said O'Leary received a master's degree from New York University in 1972. O'Leary was a student there but did not receive a degree said John Beckman, the Vice President of Public Affairs. O'Leary, then 55, also never earned a letter playing football in New Hampshire, even though his biography says he earned three. In fact, the school said he never played in a single game. O'Leary said he regretted not telling Notre Dame officials about his inaccuracies before he was hired. Now, you see the slip? It's just a fib. It's not really a lie. It's an inaccuracy. Many years ago, as a young married father, he said, I sought to pursue my dream as a football coach. In seeking employment, I prepared a resume that contained inaccuracies regarding my completion of coursework for a master's degree and also my level of participation in football at my alma mater. These misstatements were never stricken from my resume or biographical scratch in later years. So it was just misstatements. It wasn't really, I wasn't really lying. I was just, I put some misstatements in there. The sudden resignation was one of the most embarrassing blows to the storied Notre Dame football program, famous for Rock, Rockney Lehi, the four horsemen, and winning one for the Gipper. The integrity and credibility of Notre Dame is in, impeccable, and with that in mind, I will resign my position as head football coach. Notre Dame Athletic Director Kevin Weiss at O'Leary acknowledged problems in his biographical materials, including his academic background. I understand that these inaccuracies represent a very human failing, 
Nonetheless, they constitute a breach of trust that makes it impossible for us to go forward in our relationship. Goes on to say several more things about his life, but then his brother comes to his defense and says, I don't know why that should even be played into this whole conversation because it's his heart that matters. I mean, he really wanted the job, and he he wanted the job so badly that he was willing to lie to get it. You ought to let him have the job. That's what's most important, his abilities. But you see how the world turns lying into inaccuracies and misstatements and fibs. It's amazing how this happens day in and day out on resumes uh, around the world. One more interesting point here. Statistics reveal that men lie 42% more than women, which is nearly twice as much. So, what is a lie? To make a statement that one knows is false, especially with intent to deceive. One dictionary says it's a statement that one knows is false, especially with the intent to deceive. When I am telling a lie, I am intending to proclaim something that I know is not true. It's false, and it's purposeful. Secondly, to give a false impression, deceive, to deceive one's statistics, or as one dictionary put it, exaggerating. I mean, you should have been out there on the lake with us. That fish I caught was this big, and all of a sudden a line snapped, and it got away. Or was it this big? Or was it this big? Oh, it doesn't matter. It was just a big one. We exaggerate every day of our lives, it seems. And a half-truth is a whole lie. So in other words, to lie is to share an untruth or false impression knowingly or willingly. So notice in our text in Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16, it says this, Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. I want you to understand the picture here of what has taken place in the context in which the Ten Commandments, the, this ninth of Ten Commandments is written. The immediate text of Scripture is that of an idea of a courtroom. The setting is a legal testimony presented before a jury in this courtroom. And I'm told that the word neighbor suggests that this court or trial takes place before a covenant community. And so we need to understand it's almost as though there is a courtroom taking place and someone is on trial and we are not to give false testimony against that person. And in Scripture, that person was called a neighbor. In fact, most of the time, it was very serious to take and give a false testimony against somebody. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I just want to read a couple of verses here. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, it says this. Do not take revenge or bear grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. So the idea is a courtroom type of setting in the bigger setting of a community. And because you are a community of neighbors, you're to love one another, not lie against them and tell untruths against them. But you see, Jesus then comes back in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. We'll not take the time to go there or read through it all. But you know the story of the Good Samaritan. And he asks this question, and who is my neighbor? So we know from the Old Testament setting here is the idea of the covenant community. But in the New Testament, he says, who is my neighbor? And the answer is who? Anyone. Everyone. We're not to lie against anyone. 
And with the concept of the context of being a courtroom, it's almost with legality. It's almost as though you are putting your hand on the Bible and says, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's the idea here. In the court setting, in the community setting, and who is our neighbor in the New Testament? Everyone that we have around us. So we are to be honest with those who are around us. What God was condemning in this ninth commandment is a person who testifies falsely against someone accused of a crime. But you need to understand something about the legal system of this ancient day. The legal system was based on something that is referred today as Napoleonic rule. And if you know anything about that, the rule basically meant this. You are guilty until proven innocent rather than innocent until proven guilty. Thus, people accused of a crime had very little protection. And there were few standards in a trial of this nature, and oftentimes the accused was not given a chance to defend himself or mount even a small defense. So in this type of a setting where someone was guilty until proven innocent, words were very important. What you said would be taken with great esteem. And so we had to be very careful. In ancient times, many courts would pass sentence and conviction off the, te- off the testimony of one witness, or in such cases, the accuser alone. And the scary side of this type of court was that many crimes were considered capital offenses, which puts the defendant's life at stake. The words of a witness could be very fatal. How many times over the years have we heard of stories of someone who said something falsely against someone else and it has ruined their testimony, has ruined their character, has ruined their life? Um, five years ago, before we moved here, we went to a retreat in uh, Houston. And at this retreat was another youth pastor. And this youth pastor said, man, I, I mean, his heart was broken. youth pastor was there and he said, you know, He said, I could not wait through my college years to get to that place where I was finally a youth pastor. He said, I loved working with teens. I loved leading them in music and worship. I loved it. And he was at this church for several years as a part-time youth pastor, part-time worship leader. And in this situation that he was in, God opened a door for him to step into a full-time position, to go from part-time to full-time at another church several hours away. There were a couple of girls in the youth group who got ticked off that their youth pastor was leaving. And they started a rumor that he had molested them because they didn't want him to go. Well, this guy ended up in jail, ended up in, you know, for several months at a time in jail, court fees and legal fees and lawyer fees, only to be labeled an offender. And then under the guilt of what they had done, the two girls came out and said, we lied about the whole thing because we didn't want him to leave. And it's amazing. The court case was dropped. They were able to undo the sentence, but the label had to remain in effect. You say, how is that fair? It's not fair. It is what it is. But because of it, he can no longer be a youth pastor because he's labeled a sex offender, even though in the court cases they admitted to lying. Forever his life is ruined his testimony marred, his character wrecked. You could say, as he did, 
God's in control. To Him be the glory. But from a human standpoint, it broke His heart. Words are so important. What we say. And how many times over the years have we heard stories of someone who has told lies regarding someone that has ruined their lives? Lest you think there is no grace, though, in this situation, let me say, God in His infinite wisdom was so much greater than that. And in Israel specifically, when a member of this covenant community was put on trial, he appeared before a jury of his elders. And in God's grace and in His mercy, there had to be more than one witness. For as God said in His law, one witness was not enough. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 19. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 19. And we see the principle here that was put in place in covenant communities of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, it says this, One witness cannot establish any wrongdoing or sin against a person. Whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Back just a couple pages in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6. It says this, The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. So there is some grace. There is some mercy here. Where one person could not just say, well, he did this, and therefore be sentenced to death. God in His mercy allowed there to be at least some escape. But one more thing to consider in these circumstances of the, is the accuser. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, the accuser had to throw the first stone. Look at this in Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. 17, verse 7. He says this, They must no longer offer their sacrifices to goat demons that they have prostituted themselves with. They will be a permanent... No, uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, wrong book. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy. No, chapter 17. Here it is. The witness hands are to be the first in putting him to death. And after that, the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. Can you imagine the pressure of that? Well, he did this, and he's sentenced to die, and the accuser has to cast the first stone in putting him to death. I want you to understand something about stoning. Stoning is not just picking up little rocks and throwing. In biblical times and in ancient days when stoning was practiced, they were big stones. Two-hand stones, some of them. And in some cases, they were lowered into a pit and then thrown down into the pit. It was a wicked, uh, hurtful, painful way to die. And can you imagine, with that, accuse, or with that, that, with that accusation, you had to throw the first stone. It makes you think twice about your words. Am I telling the truth or am I not? And Jesus even did this in John chapter 8, verse 7. Cast the first stone. It's a very important safeguard and the accuser had to live with his testimony and the outcome of this statement. Also, if it was proven that the accuser's allegations were wrong, he would be severely punished or even be put to death. The prophet Zechariah said it best. He says, speak the truth to each other 
and render true the sound judgment of your courts. Zechariah 8.15 So God's Word calls us to speak the truth. A courtroom isn't the only place that people are caught lying. With the, notice what the thesaurus list of lying includes. Deceitfulness. Have you ever been deceitful? Or dishonesty. Or if we've said of people in times past, they're two-faced. They're hypocritical, double-tongued. Being insincere or untruthful. I think those are the ways that people lie every day. Oh, I'm so excited for you. And you ticked off because they got something you didn't. Happens every day. And it's lying. Being cunning, devious, being misleading, telling half-truths. Just a few examples listed in the source. And from that standpoint, you say, well, I don't consider myself a liar, but do you exaggerate? I don't consider myself a liar, but do you ever tell a half-truth? I don't consider myself a liar, but are you being untrue in some areas? Dishonest in some areas? That makes us liars. Even the Apostle Paul reminded several churches. He reminded the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12.20. He warned them of quarreling, quarreling, slandering, and gossip. Why? Because it shouldn't be a part of those who are believers in Christ. He reminded the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, that discord, dissensions, and lying were among them, and it shouldn't be that way. He reminded the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of slander, which is lying, in all malice, because it ought not be in the body of Christ. And consider gossip among God's people. It's such a common sin that most people don't even realize that they're caught up in the middle of it until the spreading of stories and all kinds of gossip without realizing the effect that it's having. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 8 says this, A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to the one's innermost being. Man, it's appealing to hear the story, isn't it? say, well, is gossip necessarily lying? No, but it's not always necessarily the truth either, and it doesn't always necessarily need to be said. But it's almost like we yearn it like our favorite food. Do you want to hear that inside story what's going on? We are called to be people of truth. What if we are unsure of something we are told is true or not? Well, practice Matthew 18, 15. Go to the person himself and ask him if he or she is telling the truth. Commit yourself to being truthful. But also in Ephesians 4.15 it says speak the truth in love. So we're to be people of truth. We need to consider the value of truth before God. Turn your Bibles if you would to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read a couple of verses beginning with verse 32. Here's a story of what took place. Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart, one mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common, and apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord. Jesus and great grace was on all of them. For there was not needy person among them, because of all those who owned lands of, uh, lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of these things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, 
This was then distributed for each one's person's basic needs. So what happened here? Here's some people who are selling some land, and they're willing to share it, they're willing to distribute it, and then something else happens. There's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. They're getting in on this. And they tell the land, they tell the story of, 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 of being a part of it all and, and that they're, they're willing to sh- you know, sell what they have and, and give away what they have you know, to, to the whole thing. L- let's go on here in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead in a great fear camp on all who heard. Think about it. Did he have to lie about it? Did anyone force him to give what he made from the selling of his item, his land? No. For, for whatever reason, he, uh, he, he deceived others or tried to deceive others by saying, well, we sold this property, we're going to lay it at your feet, and now, boy. But he lied. And for whatever reason, Scripture doesn't tell us, but God allowed Peter to know that he was lying. And he says, why are you lying? Can we just say this? God despises lying. He says it in Proverbs over and over that lying is serious. And lying has great and harmful consequences. So look at, if you would, Proverbs chapter 6. Psalms, Proverbs, chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19 says this. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to Him. Arrogant eyes, and here it is, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil. And then He says, verse 19, a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. I think He takes it serious. He doesn't like lying. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he says this. Verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning, and has not stood in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks it from his own nature, because he is a liar and a father of liars. So what happens? God says, wait, if we're liars... And that's our nature and that's our characteristic. We have to question whether the truth is in us. Whether or not the Father is in us. He hates lying. We're to be people of truth. And God takes great offense of lying. Turn your Bibles to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. Last book of the Bible. In verse 8, he says this. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, 
and what's the next phrase? And all liars. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then he goes over just a chapter, chapter 22 and verse 15. He says, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. What's he saying here? He says, if lying is part of our nature and who we are as a person, we have to question whether or not the Holy Spirit lives within us. Because he said those people will not spend eternity in heaven. So you can imagine why so many people were scared. Hearing these truths and applying to their lives... We need to understand the punishment of telling lies is great. But there's a greater lie, however, found in Matthew chapter 23, and we're almost through. It's a greater lie. It's more than just making a a false statement. It's more than just not telling the truth. It's a lie of hypocrisy. Saying that we are one thing and living quite differently than what we say we are. You've heard me say this statement before, and it's not my statement, but actions speak louder than words. It's not what I say, it's, it's how do I live. So he said this other phrase, your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Who are we as a person? As people, do we speak the truth? Are we honest or are we filled with lies? And I think hypocrisy is one of the greatest lies that any of us could possess. And throughout this whole chapter, he says this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to, I want to bring your attention to this. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. So in other words, to say one thing and do another makes us what? Hypocrites. And we run into people all around and say, man, you Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. You say one thing, but you do another. You have double standards. A friend of mine who's a pastor of 40-some years used to always say this. If you have a reputation, it's for one reason. You've earned it. Now we realize it's a scapegoat for those who don't want to follow Christ. But our lives should not give them any ammunition as believers. He says, Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't live it. They tie up heavy loads and are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor of banquets, the front seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called rabbi by people. Over and over. Let me begin to read what he says. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Next word, hypocrites. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Next word, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Next word, hypocrites. 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say whoever has an earth by, uh, uh, takes an oath by a sanctuary it means nothing. But whatever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater the gold of the sanctuary that is sanctified. So over and over, he just verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Let's be people who live what we say is in our hearts by speaking the truth. Not just with our mouth, but with our life. And the greatest lie that we can tell is a life of hypocrisy. And how it will lead people to a either missing a relationship with Jesus Christ or to a wrong relationship. I'm going to close with one verse in John chapter 8 verse 32 says this says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth of who Jesus Christ is. The truth of what He came to do on this earth. And when we accept that truth and have a relationship with Him, the truth is going to bring us freedom. We need to be people of truth, both spiritually and physically. We need to be people who will honor Jesus Christ with our lives. As I was reading through this, as we are studying for it, it's so easy to be someone who doesn't tell the truth. To exaggerate the story. To be a little bit dishonest so you don't hurt feelings. To be just a little bit on the edge so that you know, kind of get what you want. To convince somebody. But a half-truth is a whole lie. And we have to realize that lives are at stake. And if lying characterizes who we are, we have to question whether or not Christ is in us. Let's be people of truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word.